Chefs up, knives down. Get ready for a plate full of accessible, healthy food and join us as we take a bite out of the Little Apple. I am your host, Katie Weavy. And I am Becky Goff, and this is Little Apple Bites Podcast. Today we have Carla Hagemeister from the Flint Hills Bread Basket in to discuss the amazing resource available to residents in Riley County. Hi, it's nice to see you guys. Good to see you too. Welcome. Thank you. So we have asked everyone... The first question that we ask them is, what makes Little Apple special to you? Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I came here in 1993 to go to K-State, and I never left. (laughs) And I had a lot of choices (laughs) as an Army kid. Um, Never really expected to stay in Kansas, let alone to stay in Manhattan. So I would say what makes the Little Apple special to me is, is the people here. Um. I think it is a big enough community to have a lot of diversity and a lot of unique experiences, but um, at the same time, not so big that you feel lost in the in the mix. That's awesome. Yeah, we've had a lot of people that comment that it's the people is part of why they stay. So that's always mm-hmm. it's fun to see how for how many people that mm-hmm. is what has actually kept them here. So. Yeah, and I think it's really important important no matter what community you are in to get plugged into things I think it is easy in a community like this that is somewhat transient to just be a face in the crowd so it is something to be intentional about finding ways to get involved in the community whether it's a faith community or school or church or um, volunteering um, whatever it might be I think the people that are happiest and really set down roots are people who really get involved in their community and and take part in all that it has to offer. Yeah. And there is so much to this community that you can get involved in. And I think that that is also what makes the little apple special is there is so many different things that you can get involved in Mm -hmm. and there's so many ways. And then there's also just a lot of people that really do want to be involved in the community. And, uh, I think that that's why we have, uh, such a great community here is because there's so much involvement Mm -hmm. going on. And, you know, you kind of mentioned volunteers, and I know this question was actually kind of a little bit farther down, but I'm going to just bring it up <laughs> now anyway. So I know that volunteers are a huge part of what makes the bread basket work, correct? Absolutely. We are, by staff, a pretty small organization. There's um, myself plus three and a half staff members. So we could not do what we do at the bread basket. Um, and for our community without a very steady crew of volunteers. Um, We did a volunteer town hall last week where we gathered up some of our volunteers um, as they were able to come to just sit down and visit with them about the contributions that they give to us and what's meaningful to them. And in preparation for that, I want to say that we calculated that in the last year we have somewhere in the ballpark of about 90 different regular volunteers, people who come on a pretty regular basis. It might be monthly or weekly. Some of our volunteers come a couple times a week. So it varies um, depending upon what that person wants to do. Um, But that's a pretty decent crew size just as your basic, um, just across the board sort of volunteering. And then... um, When it comes to kind of those one-time volunteers or drop-ins, you know, it was several hundred people in the last year that we've had doing that. And we really couldn't do what we do. We operate five days a week. We've got folks that go out to pick up food donations from our grocery stores Monday through Friday. We've got people on site who sort that food once it gets to us. And then um, really one of the areas that we've really deepened and enriched in the last year is what we call kind of like that front of house service. Um, We have a lot more opportunities for volunteers to really get to interact um, individually or as a group with our guests who are coming to see us. And I think that's been really um, an appreciated um, change for us on both ends. Um, I think it's really important for our volunteers to see the impact that they're making on the community and um, for our guests to have that social interaction as well as the the concrete items that they're coming for. I think it's really a good opportunity for them to see people who care. Yeah. I know when we stopped by, um, definitely noticed a lot of people socializing while they're sitting there waiting for their turn to mm-hmm. go and get food and mm-hmm. just 
you know, I mean, while there was a lot of talking, like you could tell everyone was just kind of enjoying like the camaraderie in there. Yeah. We really want to build a community. We want, because there is some consistency, um, you know, people, we all fall into routines. And so there are people who are always going to come and shop with us on Wednesday. And our Wednesday volunteers are going to miss you when you're gone. When you come back, they're going to say, oh, we missed you. How have you been? What have you been up to? Um, and we do, because of the volume of guests that we're serving now, we do have a bit of a wait there at times that it just takes a little bit of time. We don't have a big space, so there's not really the opportunity for a lot of people to shop all at once. Um, and so we want to do something or things that really enhance a sense of community while people are there. So we've, um, you know, we try to have books available. We've had uh, the little lending library program from the Manhattan Public Library that they bring over books that can can go home with people and it they don't have to come back necessarily. Yeah. We've had other people donate books to us that we keep on the shelf, whether it's children's books or adult books, cookbooks, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, we try to, you know, sometimes we'll have like little I'm going to say like table talk questions in okay. the in the guest room, um, just those little conversation starters to help people kind of bridge those gaps and build those relationships with each other. Um, because, again, we're social people like what we talked about, what makes the little apple special is community. And a lot of times when you're experiencing poverty, when you're experiencing food insecurity, you're really hustling. And there's not a lot of time to sit down and have outside relationships, maybe outside of the people that you live with or who you work with. And so, um, you know, if you're going to be here anyway to have that that need met for those food items or hygiene items, then let's take care of that other end of it, too, and and kind of create an environment where there's not that stigma, there's not that sense of, oh, I can't make eye contact with anybody because what would somebody think if they saw me here? But really have it be a sense of that we're a community and we want to care for each other. So Flint Hills Bread Basket has been around for quite a while. We have. We were can, formed. <laughs> I was going to say, can you tell us a little bit of a brief history of Sure. Brief history. Yeah. Um, Flint Hills Bread Basket came to be... Um, in the 1980s, as the nation was responding to what they called a food crisis or a hunger crisis, we're still in it 30-some years later. So that is one answer to the question. Mm -hmm. um, so we came about, though, through um, the work of Tom Mulhern at the Area Agency on Aging um, in 1982 uh, that kind of came about as that that match of why is there so much food waste in the United States paired with why is there so much need for food? So how do we um, pair those two things together? We didn't have a physical location when we first started. Uh, we kind of came to be in some space between the um, Area Agency on Aging and then where we're currently located. There's it's there's former USO buildings in that area. That was one of the okay. things that was in that space. And um, we were... When we first had physical space over there, it was a shack or a shed that was used for like lawnmowers for the city right. of Manhattan type of thing. Oh, my goodness. And so um, our first building, which is the west part of our building, was built in 1987. Okay. So um, that came to be um, down at the Yuma location. Um, and that served as our warehouse, our storage area, our um, connection. And when we started, and we still function this way today, we're partnered with food pantries throughout the community. So at times, the breadbasket has done a lot of direct distribution on site, and other times, we haven't done as much. Um, at this point, because of the volume of need in the community and somewhat of, of our values and beliefs, um, we are doing a lot of direct distribution on site. Okay. But we're also partnered with seven different food organizations in the Riley County community as a whole. So um, we start with no building, then we add a building in 1987. Um, 1992, we uh, added on the west portion or really extended it. And then in 2001, we added the warehouse. Okay. So kind of over time, we've grown in that space. We are really fortunate. We're housed on city property. So the property is owned actually by the city of Manhattan. Okay. And the breadbasket owns the building and all of the contents within. 
So it's really a neat, um, a neat and a unique relationship that has, um, been a benefit obviously to us as an organization, but also obviously to the community. We're in a great location. We're downtown. So it is a walkable space. There's an at a bus stop nearby. Um, so there's really some good assets to it. Um, right now, <laughs> we're in a little bit of a pickle because we don't have a parking lot. No, it's been a little noticed. bit. Yeah. Yeah. But long term, um, it's been a great, great location for us and it's allowed us to serve people for a lot of time. But this parking lot, this is going to be a paved, a new paved parking lot once yes. they're done, mm-hmm. which will be much nicer because yes. part of it was gravel still, right? Um, no, part of it was potholes. That's what it was. <laughs> I knew it was something. I knew it just wasn't the sure. best. <laughs> um, the parking lot is a, is it's a shared parking lot. Like obviously it's a right. city lot. Yes. But um, if you would have gone there a few months ago, there would have been a really big a freezer in the middle of the parking lot, okay. which made parking kind of weird and made the sight line strange and yeah. kind of obstructed a little bit of the layout and took up some, obviously, some parking area. So um, through a, through some grants and through CDBG development funds, um, we've been able to, with the city, uh, purchase a new freezer that went in in September over on the west side of our building. As soon as that freezer was installed and operational and we were able to um, clear out the contents of the old freezer, uh-huh. uh, next day A&H came and, and took that old freezer out and it has <laughs> been relocated out to A&H Farms. There you go. They've been great partners for us because they also really helped us with moving the food from A to B. Oh, nice. Um you know, we go a certain amount of time with no rain. And then, of course, the right before we needed to move stuff in a dirt Things have been torn up. Uh, Parking lot. um, We had some really good rain in September that made us moving with our forklift pretty difficult. So they came in with our tractor and were just tremendous. They helped us greatly to get things moved. But as soon as the the, um, freezer was empty, it got taken out and then the parking lot was torn out. So we've been without a parking lot since October. At some point it will be done and we will all celebrate um, the Douglas Recreation Center, the bread basket, all of our guests. Everyone. We'll all be very excited when that parking lot's done. It will have, um, obviously it will be nicely paved. It will have additional parking spots because of the ability to actually lay it out the way it it could be to be most efficient. Right. Um, have good lighting and landscaping. So we're really looking forward to that. For lots of reasons. Yeah, so it sounds like it's also going to kind of add to the um, visual, like it'll be a prettier yes. visual outside of there. Yes, it will look more intentional, I yeah. think would be a good word for it, as opposed to that things just develop around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it will look like it has been designed by a professional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, always <laughs> that's always exciting. Yeah. So, and I'm really excited for that. Just... Um, you know, when you put care into the resources that you have, um, you know, again, it, it it feeds back into that. This is a place that we value. This is a place that serves a purpose for the community. And um, that just translates. It translates to all of your guests that we, we care about your safety. We care about, um, you know, making sure you have access to parking and access to getting in to see us and that, that we want it to be a good experience. Yeah, uh, it's nice like to see all of the changes that have happened, and you're talking about l- many, many changes that have happened over the past few years, and it's because you care and want it to grow and want it to be intentional. Mm-hmm. You just started with Flint Hills Basket, Bread Basket a few years ago, correct? I started in March of 2022. I had okay. to stop and think <laughs> for a second. Whew. I knew it was here recent. I just couldn't remember. Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how you got started with the bread basket. Sure. Um, so like I said, I've been in the Manhattan community for a long time, but um, not serving in that capacity. Um, straight out of school, I went to uh, Junction City and worked for SRS, which is now DCF. So I did, I was a social worker. Um, I am a social worker. And I uh, did child abuse neglect investigations and did that for a few years. After that, it really, um, I, I, hard job, but I loved that job. I loved the people that I worked with, but I had an opportunity to come to 
and work in Manhattan, which that was where we lived and still live. So um, I was able to take a job at the Riley County Attorney's Office, and I worked there for 21 years as a victim (laughs) witness coordinator. So that was really where the bulk of my professional life was prior to. But in that sense, while I was working there, um, obviously I worked with crime victims. So that means you work with people who've had all kinds of different experiences and have different resources. So um, working with different uh, area resources was part of that job, knowing what supports people might need and helping them get connected. So um, I was connected in those ways, served on a number of different nonprofit boards and with nonprofits, but didn't necessarily have a ton of interaction with the breadbasket, um, aside from referrals and resources, that sort of thing. And like many of us, you come to a chapter in life and you're like, what else is there out there? And right around that time, um, Mary Beth Kiefer, the prior uh, executive director, had announced her retirement. And I saw that the breadbasket was looking for a new executive director. And it just really seemed like a neat, a new opportunity for me to kind of stretch and grow and um, kind of show some of those leadership skills that I think I have and just take us in a new direction and move forward with the agency. I really, when I was interviewing with the board, um, something that I said that I think is true and sticks with me now is that that the breadbasket really is seen as a pillar in this community, and we have a really deep-rooted um, support system. We have people who, have, who don't know anything but having the breadbasket. And then there's the folks who, who have put in their years of labor for many, many years um, to make us the strong organization that we are. And I think that, that a responsibility that there's the, there's the benefit that comes with having that sort of longevity. But when you have that longevity, you also have a responsibility to not just rest, but to say, okay, how do we support? How do we grow? How do we remain sustainable? How do we remain relevant? How do we look at what we've done and what we've done in the past and honor it, but also realize that, you know, we were an organization that started in the 1980s and a few things have changed since then. And so (laughs) how do we move forward with that? And how do we um, support the guests as they are now? How do we connect with our volunteers? How do we work with volunteers? All those sorts of things that come into it. And so I was really excited for that opportunity to really take this organization and work with a strong board and our strong group of volunteers, our great staff, and um, just continue the work and and maybe take it with some fresh eyes and um, and do do good work for the community. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, being able to you know, help this organization continue to meet the needs of the guests. And something that you've been able to implement is actually different requirements and actually less requirements to Mm -hmm. be able to receive food. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about if you're someone in need of food, what do they need to do? What do they bring with them? It's really pretty straightforward. Um, We have two basic requirements. One is that you live within our service area, which includes all of Riley County and this little, you know, what is it, the western edge of Pottawatomie County that's kind right. of in that little bit of a no man's land. You're not in the actual official city of Manhattan. <laughs> You're not in Wamego. Um, but there's there's certainly some need out in that, oppor- in that, that area. Um, so you live within our service area and you are experiencing food insecurity. Um, we measure that with uh, two questions on our guest intake that come from Feeding America, which is the national... Um, food insecurity program okay. that we're kind of underneath. So um, that's really, that's where we, where we measure it. We don't worry or don't, um, we don't base it off of what your income is because we know that your income is not necessarily reflective of your bills. We know that your income can vary greatly from paycheck to paycheck, depending on your family circumstances, that it doesn't necessarily reflect all of the information that that is part of what goes into somebody having food insecurity. And to us and our values, food is a basic human right. And, um, We really kind of approached it in that way that if we want people to be able to work or go to school or have a just 
they're, maybe they're senior citizens or disabled, um, and we want them to have a good quality of life and be able to be as healthy as possible and have as fulfilling a life as possible and have the executive functioning that, that goes into all of those things, that just basic nutritious food, access to food is, is essential to that. It's fuel for that. And so we wanted to make it as accessible for people to receive that support. Because at the same time, when people are supporting the bread basket, you know, they're, they're giving of their resources of the food, um, maybe because it's excess food at a grocery store or damaged food from a grocery store, but they're not, they're not sending it to us with strings attached. They're sending it to us and said, saying, this is resources that we want to go to people who need food. And so we really see it as, as a part of the pledge on our end of it is to make sure that we're getting that food to people who need it. That's awesome. That makes it like a lot easier. You don't have to worry about bringing in like two pay stubs or, you know, right. I know there's a lot of people out there that probably think they still have to bring in stuff like right. that to be able to prove things. Right. And- we like to see um, at some point in either on your first visit or in one of your first visits, something that does show your address. We yeah. want to verify that and we'll go through that probably on an annual basis just to verify that we still know who all is in the household so that we can keep good numbers. Um, we do keep track of that data. But we want it to be, um, again, as destigmatized as possible. Something that we talk about a lot because our guests will come in and you hear a lot of like, oh, I'll only come if I really, really need to, or I'll only come once a month, or I'll only, you know, people are really conscious of utilizing that resource. And one of the ways that I talk about it with them is that we've all had help. It might look different from person to person. Right. But we've all had assistance of some sort from somebody. And if we have the resource to share and we have the community support and this is what we're doing, um, then I want people to feel comfortable using our services for as long as they need us. Yeah. You know, I had somebody come in um, a couple weeks ago and say, you know, I, I, I just started a new job, but I don't get paid for another, you know, three weeks or whatever that time lag that happens right. in between when you start a job and when you actually get a paycheck. Right. Yeah. And so he was very conscious of that and was like, as soon as I start getting paid, I won't come anymore. And, and, but you guys have really made a huge difference. You've, you know, really made a difference for us in this time that I was laid off. And as soon as I have that paycheck, I won't be here. And I said, you know what? You don't have to do that. Because if you've been without an income for a little while, things have probably built up. Yeah. I want you to come here as long as you need to come here. And as long as food is a worry for you, then you come here and don't feel bad about it. That's why we exist. Um, You know, I, I, I... pretty much think that, you know, he'll probably come for a little while after those paychecks um, start coming. And then once he doesn't need it, he'll back off. But also he knows that that we're here and that if something happens in the future or if he knows somebody that needs that sort of support, he'll make that connection with them and he'll send them our direction and say, you know what? I needed it. They helped me out. And that's what we're there for. That's awesome. I yeah. like hearing this, those stories, you know. Of, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's gr- that's great that, you know, he's being able to, you know, get himself back on his feet and mm-hmm. feel and can see that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, of right. where he thinks he won't be needing to come and use your services. Right. But. And there's certainly, um, you know, there's there's lots of reasons why people come to us. And there's going to be people who need us for that really short term and are going to be here for a few months, need that support for just a little while. And then there's folks who need us maybe once a month. You know, maybe things are just getting a little bit tight. And so they don't need to come in all the time because they have income, they have um, most of what they need, but then for whatever reason, need that occasional support. But in all honesty, there's going to be people who need our support once a week for as long as they are here in our community. And it might be because of disability, it might be due to age, it might be due to mental health. I mean, any number of reasons why somebody might need that support. And that's okay, because that's our mission. Our mission is to make sure that people have access to healthy foods, that we're building connections within the community, and that we're empowering our guests to be um, to meet their basic needs. And if we're part of that basic need, um, then that's okay. And that is part of a person's inherent worth is to have that access. And again, what we've talked about before, um, 
we're not just meeting that need for somebody to have food. A lot of times if you're thinking about somebody who has a disability or um, is not going to be truly um, able to be self-sufficient for whatever reason, not employable or can't be, um, we know that we're going to be meeting more needs than just food and hygiene items. That for that population, we're a social outlet, we're a place where they're building community, where they're getting out of their house and having that social interaction with people. Um, and we're part of that routine and we're part of that that kind of life, daily life for them. Yeah, I think it's absolutely important to know that, you know, there's a place where you can ask for help and there's no judgment and you're just, you know, it's not a handout. It's not it's not something you have to be ashamed of. It's something that everybody needs help every once in a while. And Mm -hmm. it's a really great resource. And we learned a couple of weeks ago when we talked to Common Table that. Riley County has the second highest food insecurity rate at, right behind our neighbors in Geary County. Mm-hmm. And so it is really important to have uh, places where you can ask for help and you can um, have that social outlet and that community and uh, that need be filled. Absolutely. A lot of times people will will hear that information and they'll say, well, that's your student population, that mm-hmm. the students throw that number off. And that's not the case. Even without the students factored in there, um, we have that level of food insecurity in our community. Um, people will ask why that is, and there's, there's lots of reasons. Um, I don't know that I'm going to opine necessarily on the particulars for Briarby Lake County is the is so high in that, but just on the on the general basis, um, we have become a very service service oriented um, nation, and those service jobs are not necessarily um, well paid jobs. Um, yeah. You know, just as as things have changed in um, where industrial jobs are or what what things pay. And the way that our society functions, it is Manhattan is an expensive community to live in. And so a lot of again, a lot of our guests are are employed. Many of them are employed at two, three jobs. But um, those two, three jobs don't necessarily all work out to what a full time professional job would be or um, their rent or their whatever their resources are just don't stretch far enough. And so. It is definitely, um, there's a high level of need in our community. Um, and we, we did talk a lot about, you know, it's more than just helping with access to food. What would you say is your favorite part of working at Flint Hills Breadbasket after being there for a few years? Mm, it's the relationships. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely the relationships between our volunteers, between our guests, um, hearing those stories. I don't know many, there's there are other jobs, other places. I don't want to be all braggy about it. But man, you know, you go into work and whatever might be on your mind, um, you can come in and within an hour of being at your job, you've made somebody's life better. You've had a really direct impact on their life. And so I think that's one of the best parts. I love seeing our volunteers connect with each other. Um when you're working with volunteers, a lot of times, given especially given our hours of when we're operating, a lot of our volunteers are retired from their, you know, baseline career. So they they've um, they've had a few more years of life than than some of us, um, and so they come into that with some really neat experiences and some neat backgrounds. And to see them kind of building connections between themselves. But then also um, a really neat thing has been that we also get college age volunteers who need volunteer hours for a class or maybe they um, made some poor decisions and are having to have some consequences from that. Right. Um, or we had um, some teens and preteens over the summer months. And to see that intergenerational activity happening um, when our senior volunteers are connecting with our college age volunteers and connecting with our high school uh, age volunteers and having that intergenerational connection is really cool to see them building those relationships. And again, um, you know, we serve a purpose for our volunteers, too. So many of our volunteers, when we talk with them about, you know, what do you need from us or what can we do to support you? And what we hear back is we're here for you. We're here for for 
you know, to support the mission of the bread basket. We're here to make your jobs easier because what you guys do is important. Um, you know, so they've really had been fulfilled, but I also know that, that they're getting something out of it too. And oftentimes it's the relationships and friendships that they build. We had a, a fun time last summer. Uh, one of our teenagers was coming in to volunteer and her mom emailed me and said, is it okay if I bring her a little bit early um, going forward because she's been missing coffee time with the other volunteers Oh, okay. <laughs> because our volunteers would come in and they would work for a little bit and then they'd take a little break and have their coffee. The, the um, volunteer, adult volunteer crew would have their coffee and she'd have a, you know, a lacroix or water or something like that. But she really liked the fact that she was sitting down at the table, that they were taking interest in her, talking with her about what her interests were. Um, so it really serves a purpose to have that sort of broad spectrum of people that can do all sorts of things together. That's awesome. So you've talked a lot about your volunteers and we were looking on your website and it mentions that you've reached your volunteer goal for the year. What does that what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your organization at this point? Does that mean that we're what never done? I'm oh, like, no. uh, I'm like I, what does this mean? I mean <laughs> It probably means that I need to go back and clean up that website because oh, okay. what that probably was was referring to we met our goal for the Thanksgiving uh, meal volunteers. Oh, there we go. Because in reality we are always looking for volunteers. Okay. Um and we've got lots of people who are coming and going. Um, you know, we had a guy today that's been a volunteer with us for the last year and a half or so who graduated last Saturday. We're very excited for him, but he's, you know, gone and got a grown-up job now and he's moving to Nashville. <laughs> oh, well, kind of hard so, to keep volunteering right. here. Yeah. So we're kind of sad, you know, that you always have that sort of flux. Um, you also have vacations, you have all those different things. So we need a good solid base of volunteers all the time to keep things running. But then we're also looking at um, how we might expand some of our services. One of the things that we've added on or that we are planning, um, <laughs> we're, we're working really hard on, on planning before we execute instead uh -huh. of the reverse. Well, yeah, yeah you get excited and then... <laughs> And then you realize, oh, wait a second, we really should have slowed this process down. So we were able to um, receive a bus from Adabus yes. at the end of June this year. Um, the timing of the bus was just fortuitous. It, again, it was not planned for us to get a bus as soon as I emailed Ann Smith <laughs> and said, hey, what do you do with the buses when you retire them? <laughs> I was really putting out a feeler and it turned into us having a bus donated to us within a couple of months. Here, have a bus from us. Yeah, which is wonderful. You don't turn those resources down when right. they come your way. Yes, but we've had to be patient and actually do the planning. So we are planning and we've um, gotten the bus started in regards to kind of outfitting it um, externally. We are still working on the internal portion of it. But the, the goal for it is for it to be a mobile market. We know that there are people who have transportation issues due to not having a vehicle, not um, being licensed to drive, not you know able to drive anymore due to age or for whatever reason. Right. And we know that there are portions of our community who, for whatever reason, can't physically get down to the breadbasket or to one of our partners that we work with. Right. And so we're looking at how do we... Um, target some of those underserved populations and get food out to them. And the bus is going to be the, the modality for that to happen. So um, again, we're adding a program. We can't keep on asking all of our volunteers to do more, do more, do more. Right. Some of them will be interested and will say, oh, that really sounds cool. I'd like to be involved in that. But you, that means you need to recruit and grow your volunteer force. So we're working right now on kind of planning out what that program looks like, um, talking with our current volunteers, getting some information from them, reaching out to some of the um, possible target populations, and working on that program planning. We're also looking at um, our senior homebound outreach program. We realized yesterday that if you call it the Senior Homebound Outreach Program, that that stands for SHOP. Or it goes, if it's S-H-O-P. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, we're a little corny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, 
over the years, we've had some outreach programs that take food to some of our senior living areas. Um, okay. Thinking of like Carlson, Colorado Plaza, um, Garden Way, um, some programs like that. And we're really um, looking to strengthen that program and get it a little bit more um, formalized and really connecting it with some other programs that are available to senior citizens who have limited income. And so, again, it's taking a program that maybe has been around for a long time, but pretty informal, um, didn't have a lot of structure around it, visiting with those volunteers that have been making that volunteer, making that effort happen, gaining their um, expertise and insight, asking them what the challenges are, and then growing it from there. And so what we're really hoping to do is to make that program more robust, which means, of course, recruiting some more volunteers for that. So I don't think I'll ever fully say, no, Becky, I don't need more volunteers. <laughs> okay, so that's something that's always going to be happening. So if someone does want to volunteer, what do they need to do? How can they mm-hmm. get a hold of you for that? Um, the easiest way to get connected with us is from our website. So just flinthillsbreadbasket.org. There's a want to help tab with a volunteer button on it. And that will take you to two quick forms. One is kind of a Google form. It is a Google form that goes with what your basic information, kind of a little bit of a get to know you piece so that we understand what your interests might be. And then the other one is, um, the basic sort of identifying information that we use for our volunteers platform for our software. Um, Once that happens, then our community connections manager, which is a great fancy way to say our person who's in charge of our volunteers, Jenny, will reach out to them and kind of make that connection to see what that shift might be like if you're interested in a one-time or a short-term volunteer opportunity or if you're interested in volunteering with us longer term. She'll make those connections and kind of figure out what the right fit is with what your interests are and what our needs are, get those two things patched up, and then get you scheduled for that first shift. We're really, um, again, wanting to make good use of the volunteers that have been with us for a long time. So partnering up with a mentor, somebody that can show you the ropes of what you're doing. And then also we're really looking um, to get as many people as comfortable in different roles as possible. We want people to feel empowered there as volunteers, that it's not just, well, my job is to do this one thing and I can't come out of that lane because, <laughs> you know, that's that's not my role. Right. Uh, we want people to be able to feel like, oh, you know, on this particular day, this is the need that needs to be filled and, and I can step over here and do this. And, and again, just make it more of an enriching, um, fulfilling process for our volunteers, too. That's awesome. And uh, I know there's people that may not necessarily have time to volunteer every week or, you know, have that dedicated time to help out. What are other ways that Mm -hmm. uh, people can help out the Flint Hills Breadbasket? Sure. So one of the things that we're doing right now as an organization is we are working through a process through the Kansas Volunteer Center called Service Enterprise, which is an 18-month training program and coaching program for nonprofits to um, strengthen their volunteer engagement. So one of the things that we're learning about and we're kind of stepping into being, again, more intentional about it is what are called skills-based volunteers or off-site volunteers. So there's definitely opportunities for volunteers to um, connect with us in more non-traditional ways, ways that maybe are connected to their skill set or their interests, but are not necessarily on-site um, might be one time or, or just mm-hmm. special events. Like we had a volunteer come to the community Thanksgiving meal and took beautiful pictures that we now have access to in the folder as far as like, here's some great food pictures. Here's some beautiful volunteers of our vo- volunteers. Here's some beautiful pictures of volunteers or of people serving. Um, so that then gets added to our resources. You know, if you're a person with good skills at proofreading or, even answering phones or <laughs> there's there's so many ways that yeah. we're really kind of learning that we can use the skills that people bring. Um, if it's doing research, if it's writing things that can go into policies, um, you know, I just tapped this was 
We have a great board. I tapped one of our board members who is an HR specialist or an HR manager. Um, she just reviewed my employee manual. You know, there that's you a great volunteer service yeah, that really yeah. enhances the strength of us as an organization, but also uses the skills that she already has. So there's neat and different ways. So um, sometimes it's hard for us to imagine what all of those ways might be. And so we're really pretty open to somebody who might have some kind of inkling of an idea reaching out to us and saying, you know, I can't come because of X, Y, or Z. I work during the day and, um, you know, your hours don't fit my hours for coming on site. Or maybe they've got some, um, for whatever reason, it's not going to work in that way. But what if I did this? And if it makes sense for our mission, if it helps us further our mission, then we're going to figure it out. Another thing that we've really um, had a good attention for recently and or had it brought to our attention and, and it has been great is that a lot of times people think to themselves that if you're going to volunteer at the breadbasket, you really need to be um, super physically able to lift heavy things and operate machinery and do all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times what we really need is a person who has maybe some front end um, personal skills, like they're good at greeting people. If that's what we need, we need somebody who's going to be comfortable interacting with guests or putting people into our computer system and maybe answering the phones. If you guys, when you came, you saw how busy it is with a staff of only four and a half. (laughs) Yeah. You know, some days, especially in the month of November, the phone rang just off the hook and it was with very common set questions. You know, when's the Thanksgiving meal? When's your Thanksgiving distribution? What are your hours? And, you know, just people who are able to do some basic um, soft skills of sitting at a desk, answering the phone or greeting people. You know, it doesn't have to all be physical. There's lots of ways that people can contribute. And some of our really great volunteers that we've added on recently have been directed in that in that area. And so that's been a really neat opportunity for us to kind of have that realization that that we need to be intentional about sharing those opportunities because just by its nature of what our job does, what our facility does, people in their mind go, oh, it's going to be physical. And I can't lift 50-pound bags or I don't want to lift 50-pound bags. And so, you know, really making sure that we highlight that opportunity, that there's lots of ways to serve. That's amazing. And uh, there is also the potential to donate items, correct? You guys are in need of... Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's always potential for that. We um, obviously we uh, distribute food every day, Monday through Friday, and mm-hmm. we support seven different partners in the community. So um, there's always a lot of food moving through the warehouse, um, a lot of food moving through the warehouse, a lot of it being those shelf stable items. But also we've really put a focus in this last year on um nutritional content, Mm -hmm. making sure that what we're really asking people to donate is, is foods are foods that have nutrition, good nutritional value. And that also are culturally relevant um, or versatile. So we're looking more in the direction of what are foods that people of all different backgrounds are going to be familiar with, know what to do with, and can use for their own um, dietary preferences. So Um, looking more for baseline ingredients as opposed to a lot of the pre-made stuff. And there's a place for both of those things. A lot of folks, you know, might not have access to a whole lot of cooking equipment or might not have time. So obviously there's going to be need for that. But at the same time, um, many of our guests don't necessarily have a lot of access or have good access to health care. They might not have had access to dental care. Um, and so having good nutritious foods that really are going to be sustaining and good for their health in the long run is a good way for us to go. So we accept donations all the time of shelf-stable foods, but also, and again, this is one people don't always realize, that we can accept donations of fresh foods as well. We get a lot from um our local gardeners during the summer months, a lot of their abundance comes our way, which is wonderful. Um, but dairy products, um, 
cheese, milk, anything, yogurt, um, again, like foods that maybe can go to work in a lunch with a person um, are really highly valued as well as um, frozen foods, meats, different proteins, meats, fish, poultry. Um, and then, you know, again, just anything that we would want in our diet, they would want to. Can you give a couple examples of what a good nutritional value food would be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for foods that really are going to be along that same line of what most of our doctors are telling us. Mm-hmm. So your your most basic end of that is going to be they tell us to shop the perimeter of your grocery store. If you think about it, that's going to be where most of the most nutritious foods are, aside probably from the bread aisle. Uh, We might have a little bit of of question when we get into that area. (laughs) But that's a lot of um, your your most nutritious foods are obviously going to be your fresh fruits, vegetables, lean proteins. But also then when you get into that interior part of your grocery store – really being intentional about what products you're picking. Um, When we're thinking about our canned fruit, is our canned fruit packed in heavy syrup concentrate or is it packed in water? Um, One of those is going to be a lot healthier for you. It's going to have less (laughs) sugar in it, um, but still taste great. That is true. I mean, they still still taste great. Mm -hmm. Same with your um, canned vegetables. Are they packed... um, in, are they low sodium? Are they no sugar added? What sorts of um, of preservatives or and not not by any stretch of the imagination are we asking people to go buy organic for everything? But just to be mindful of that when you're picking out what things you might donate. Um, white rice is a very versatile ingredient. It goes across a number of cuisines. It has good nutritional value um, and good filling. You know that's a good filling item. Um, beans across the board, um, black beans, kidney beans, uh, anything that's going to go into that, whether they're dry or canned, are very popular. Yeah. Um, diced tomatoes, canned tomato products, same thing. Yeah. It's a very versatile product and can be used in a lot of different sorts of recipes to build a meal from. But then we're also talking about um, baseline things that people just need to cook, period. So we're talking about flour sugar, um, vegetable oil, or some sort of cooking oil, because most of those um, recipes, if we're actually going to cook from scratch, mm-hmm. require some amount of that, maybe not a ton, but some amount of that. Yeah. Um, what else? I, I like to joke around. We had the K-State football team come in um, not terribly <laughs> long ago. They brought in some a great meat donation through the Beef uh, Council. And they, we had a good chit chat about this very topic, and we talked about ramen. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah. All of our kids love ramen. Oh, it's yeah. pretty cheap. Lots of people have had their experience with that, and I've really made a commitment that I will never ask the community to donate ramen, because we're not talking about the ramen that you're going to get in a ramen restaurant. No. We're not talking about all the stuff that comes into it. We're talking about the, the you know. 99 cent packets that are pretty high in sodium if you mm-hmm. make it with the full packet. Right. Um, they are quick convenience foods and our kids really, or kids or people across the board really like them. But unless you're adding stuff to them, they don't contain a lot of nutritional value. So we had a good joke because the guys were like, oh, but I like ramen. And I said, yeah, but you're probably not eating the ramen just as it comes out of the, out of the package. And they're like, no, I'm adding, you know, all this other stuff to right. it. I'm like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so we're really looking for things that are not going to exacerbate somebody's pre-existing health conditions. Right. You know, we did a survey not long ago about what are, you know, what, what sort of health conditions our guests are experiencing. And it's the same as us across the board. It's, you know, heart disease, pre-diabetes, diabetes, obesity. Um, a lot of those that we as a, just as a nation are experiencing, our guests are experiencing too, except maybe they don't have access to that same level of medical care. So their diet becomes even more important. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You saying ramen, I'm guilty of eating <laughs> just ramen out of the package with nothing added. And you're right. That is 
so much sodium if you use that whole flavor packet. <laughs> it is. And I can say, I probably can say this with, with much less emotion because for whatever weird reason, I've never been a, a ramen eater okay. and neither have my kids. So I've never had to have that fight with anybody in my household personally about why <laughs> ramen is or is not a good meal. And and I don't want to say I think that's something that we need to just be careful of, myself included, is that there's not such thing as a bad food. Right. That food is is has nutritional value. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely foods that we want to eat more of and foods yes. that are great for the occasional treat, but maybe aren't going to promote our, our brain functioning, our energy level, and our overall health. So we obviously are going to have the foods that people like to eat in regards to the sweets and treats. Um, but we also want to make sure that we have good access for people to have the fresh foods that they like to eat as well. So we've talked a lot about how you know people can come in and get food and that you're open Monday through Friday, but we haven't really talked about what times during mm-hmm. the day. You've mentioned daytime, but what are the actual hours mm-hmm. that like you can show up to right. get food? So we're open Monday and then Wednesday through Friday from nine until eleven thirty in the morning. Okay. And then Tuesdays we shifted our hours. So that is our afternoon and evening um, market. We're open then from two until six thirty. And the way that we generally operate is um, because there's a lot of need in our community. There's usually people outside before we open. Right. We start people getting signed in about 15 minutes prior to opening. And if you are signed in, like we have you down and you are here um, 10 minutes before we officially close, okay. so 1120 or 620, we will make sure that we get you served. So it might mean that we stay open longer to make sure that everybody comes through and has an opportunity to shop. But we're going to make sure that we have that covered. So that's our hours on site. I've talked a little bit about being partnered with seven different programs within the community. Yes. So um, I I could run through them all. If I can do it, that'll be the test. But... um, (laughs) So we're partnered with our faith community for the greater part of it. Um, uh, Grace Baptist is the church that allowed us to shift our Tuesday hours because what we want to get to is where we have a broad coverage throughout the community of when places are open. It might not be that that the breadbasket is open all the time, but there's some place open. Right. So we support Grace Baptist, and they're open on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 1130. So... Grace Baptist is open in the morning. The bread basket is open in the afternoon. Uh, First United Methodist Pantry is open on Wednesdays from 9 to 1130. $7 is Thursday from 9 to 1130. And First Presbyterian is open from on Friday from 9 to 1130. So they're married up with us. But then we're also partnered with Peaceful Pantry, which is at Peace Lutheran Church at 2500 Kimball. And they are open... Sunday afternoon, Monday evening, Tuesday afternoon, evening, and Thursday evening. So they're open four times a week. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, Let's see, that's most of our in-town. We're also partnered with Temple of Peace, which is on Sunset. And they operate every other Saturday in the morning. And our last partner that is... um, ordering from us on a regular basis is the uh, food basket of Northern Riley County, which is housed out of the city of Riley's library at the back of the library. And they're open on Saturday mornings from 10 to noon. Um, they're our newest partner. They came on with us in October was okay. our first delivery to them. They've been operating for a long time as an organization, but we've just now started that partnership where we're supporting them with food that we're getting through our community and through harvesters. So um, they serve residents of basically everything north of Manhattan. Yeah. So if you're outside of the city limits of Manhattan, but within Riley County, then that would be the, the pantry that, that most of that community would go to. And that's a neat pantry. It's, um, like I said, been around for a long time. And it is a group of several different churches that are um, in that northern part of the county that have all come together to to form a board. (coughs) 
they've all come together to form a board that um, each supports the their church their church body supports their pantry. So it's it's a neat um, broad based community support. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, that's okay. Yeah, and say I know that my kids have um, before for school. They go to school up at the north end of the county, and they mm-hmm. have done bring in shelf stable items to mm-hmm. donate to that food pantry in the past. So yeah. that's nice. That's nice to hear that you guys are now partnered with them as yeah. well. And it was really exciting. Their first, the first time that we delivered to them, we brought the box truck. And one of the <laughs> things that we talk about with our partners is in reality, that's another area where um, most of our partners could use some extra support. We deliver um, different days of the week, but like Thursday, Tuesday morning is the bulk of our deliveries. And, um, we deliver on pallets. It's a lot of food. It's heavy stuff. And again, just like our volunteers happen to be of, generally speaking, an older demographic, so are most of the volunteers at the church pantries. Yeah. And so that moving the food from the truck, which we have a we have a truck, we have a lift gate, we have a pallet jack, but getting the food from maybe the pallet into the location and onto the shelves or onto the tables where it's going to go is is challenging sometimes. Um, so we were very, very excited the first time we did the food delivery out to Riley that they had one of their sports teams or a group from the school come out. And uh, Jenny went with uh, Ryan to do the delivery and had to tell the kids to slow down because she wasn't able to get any pictures because oh. they were moving so fast and it was going to be moved in so quick that she was like, I need to get a picture before you guys do oh all of this. Goodness. So it was really fun. And it was a neat um Again, it's a neat way to involve our kids in in that sort of support. Um, so we we loved having that happen. I know that the organizers out in Riley were happy to have that extra physical support to get things moved because <laughs> yeah. you know you could only lift 60, 80 pound boxes of <laughs> of canned vegetables so many times before we all get pretty tired. Right. Yeah. I don't know that I would last very long, to be honest. Mm-mm. So. <laughs> I haven't been lifting that kind of weight in a while, so that's yep. definitely something that, yeah, I would definitely get worn out after a few, so. Um, yeah, I think that uh, we're wrapping up here mm-hmm. really quickly, but before you go, tell us again where your website is and how people can find out more information, whether it's via the website or social media. Mm-hmm. So our physical location is 905 Yuma Street. We're not actually physically on Yuma. You've got to turn in on 9th Street and come in from there. Um, Our website is flinthillsbreadbasket.org. We post on that. Um, But I would say really, um, if you want to stay very current with what's happening with the breadbasket, we're pretty active on social media these days, our Facebook account and Instagram. Um, We try to post pretty timely information about what our volunteer needs are, what special things or what items we might be needing donated, um, because that's been a hot commodity or running low on something. Uh, We post that. We do a what we need Wednesday type of post most weeks. Um, And so that's really the best place to stay current. And then obviously um, email. There's an email contact off of our website or Facebook messaging. Uh, We use both of those. And I think we're pretty, we try to stay pretty engaged with our community, whether it's our guests or volunteers or donors, um, speaking engagements, anything. We're happy to come out and share the message with anybody that wants to hear it. All right. And is that Flint Hills Breadbasket on Facebook? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. Well, I think that that's all we have. Thank you so much, Carla, for joining us and telling us so much today. It's been good to see both of you. Thank you so much. You too. All right, Becky. uh, Thanks again to uh, Carla with Flint Hills Breadbasket for speaking with us today. Now let's talk about the news. Well, Katie, the holidays are upon us. I mean, here in just a couple of days, it's going to be Christmas and, you know, next week's New Year's Day. And so I just want to remind everyone that the breadbasket, uh, while they are open every other day of the year, they are closed here on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. But the rest of the week, in between the two, they'll be open their regular schedule um, for the rest of the year and then beyond that. So just something to keep in mind if you are in need of that food for the holidays. Just head Stock out there up a little early. Yep. yep. Uh, and then on Saturday, uh, 
Again, the downtown Manhattan Farmer's Market is going to be out there. Their winter hours are 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, and they're in that parking lot at the corner of 3rd and Leavenworth there uh, behind the mall. So, well, that'd be a good way for last minute, like, shop local Christmas gifts, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. There's uh, going to be a few vendors out there, and um, I think it'll be... Uh, good way to get your last minute shopping done if you have a couple of those uh picky people on your list yeah for sure and then also on saturday afternoon kids of all ages can go to the manhattan city park skating rink and there's an opportunity to skate with santa and i believe i also saw that maybe his uh green furry friend the grinch might be out there with him So that's from 2 to 4, so Mm -hmm. if you're looking to skate with Santa, I'm not sure if Santa is actually going to be on skates or if Santa is just going to be at the skating rink. So I guess if you want to find out if Santa Santa can skate or not, (laughs) I guess you got to show up out there. Entertaining enough to get me out there for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just to make sure you're prepared when you get out there, it is $3.50 per person to skate. And then if you don't have your own skates, you can rent them, and that's $3.50 per person so not bad for skating nice so uh then uh late saturday afternoon A&H farm is going to be hosting an after hours bingo uh that's for guests 18 and up and it's from five to eight right there are tickets that are required but you can find that on their facebook page and it seems like it's going to be a really cool event to go to so if you're looking for something to do before the holidays that'd be the thing to do yeah uh, and then Manhattan's annual community Christmas dinner is going to be served at St. Thomas More on Christmas Day, and that's from 11 to 2. Right. So that is their annual dinner. I don't remember how many years it's been going on, but I know it's been going on for forever, it mm-hmm. seems like. And, you know, there's just an opportunity for those that maybe don't have a place to go for Christmas um, or just looking to, you know, interact with other community members. You can go get a free meal. It's a hot meal. They always have, you know all of the traditional type foods like you would have for like Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner. And there's just, there's that opportunity for that, you know, being able to get that conversation in if you don't have that around, you know, don't have family around to do that with here. So absolutely. And they are going to have a take home option available at 1230. Um, So that'll be nice too. If you have family members that can't get out of the house or something like that, right? uh, you can take a limit of uh, six plates home. Yeah. So that'll be nice for those that can't get out. They can, you know, if somebody can at least get there to pick it up for them. So, and then on New Year's Eve, Katie, for those who are looking for a family-friendly option that's also maybe a little earlier than that midnight event mm-hmm. that we typically go to, um, Flint Hills Discovery Center is hosting their annual balloon drop. So that uh, oh. event is from six to eight thirty. And they invite families to come, and they have all sorts of activities. I know there's a couple of businesses that bring in food. And then at 8 o'clock, they drop balloons in their in their atrium, you know, from that, like, third floor level yeah. or what have you. And it's just really cool. So Very cool. Just the way those kids can celebrate the new year coming in, but a little early. So, you know, maybe you can get them home and get them to bed on time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it does look like tickets are required for that, uh, but they can be purchased through the Flint Hills Discovery Center. Um, yeah, and, and they, they posted on their Facebook page yeah. um, about how there's not, uh, they don't permit transferring the tickets or resell of them uh, through third parties. So they did suggest uh, if you aren't able to go anymore and you have those tickets to give them a call and then they can help you with figuring out how to get those tickets to somebody else that can use them. So. Right. Uh, also on New Year's Eve, for those wanting to stay out until midnight, uh, on 12th and Morrow Streets in Aggieville, just before midnight, they're going to do the Little Apple Drop. Right. The apple will be put up on top of Kites, um, which is on the northwest corner of 12th and Morrow. And obviously they'll do the countdown and drop the apple um, at midnight. So it should be a good event. Um, hopefully the weather holds out. I was kind of looking ahead for that, and right now it looks like it's going to be kind of cold, but that's the way it's been <laughs> the last few years for New Year's Eve has yeah. been kind of cold. So just bundle up and then go out there with your friends and enjoy it. So, Yeah, I think that's all of the news that we have. Yeah, um, it is. And this is the last time we'll be uh, speaking to you guys before the new year. So uh, thank you all for listening, and our next episode is going to be January 5th. 
Yes. And on January 5th, our episode is going to celebrate the new year, and we will be featuring a new business to the Manhattan area. And uh, we will be having uh, Jenny with Sparksburger is going to be coming in and talking to us, and we'll get to learn all about Sparksburger and how she came up with her business plan and how she got to Manhattan. Yeah, I'm really excited. If you haven't uh, checked out Sparks Burgers yet, I highly recommend it. It's uh, downtown in the Points area. My husband and I eat there all of the time. We love it. It's really good. And so uh, check out Sparks Burger. You can check them out even more on January 5th when you listen to our next podcast. Absolutely. And remember, an apple a day keeps our community unique in every way. We will see you guys next time. Bye.